Is this the Guy Ritchie episode? No. Okay, let's do the intro. The world's gone a little bit crazy. Coronavirus is the only thing anyone's talking about and stockpiling's back in fashion. In fact, it's almost impossible to get your hands on a bottle of alcohol. Oh, uh, turn the page. Alcohol hand gel. Okay, so no shortage of booze then. Not yet. Thank goodness. Welcome to Wet and Dry, a podcast about male drinking culture, sobriety, midlife crisis, pubs and friendship. I'm Matt and like the nervous sweaty palms of a parent waiting to find out which school their kid got into... I'm very wet. And I'm Jeff, over 50 days into a year of not drinking and still dry. Boom, boom. Uh, so, well, let's pick up there because you actually, you were that parent this week. I was that parent, yeah, waiting to find out what my child got into. And uh, she got into her first choice, so well done. Congratulations. Uh, it, we should open something, <laughs> we should open a bottle of something to celebrate. <laughs> So, well, we normally start by saying where we are and describing the location. It's not as exciting this week. <laughs> it's not. We're, we're in my front room, sat <laughs> at my dining table. We will have a guest on later in the show, which we've already recorded. We did yes. that a couple of weeks ago. Can I, can I say what I feel this episode is like? Yeah. Do you remember Blackadder? Obviously, you remember Blackadder the series. Yeah. Do you remember the very last one when they went from all the gags and the funniness and then they went over the barricades... It went black and white and everyone started shooting and it was a very serious moment. That's what I feel like we're doing this week. Yeah, fade to black and a lone piper playing. <laughs> and that's what I feel a little bit like it is. Okay, but stay listening. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I've just turned everyone off. <laughs> the guest is Andy Smith. We've mentioned his book Sober in Seven a couple of times. It's his story of changing his life through giving up booze. The book, I guess, is about the mindset you need to make that change. So he, we always knew he would be interesting, but the day before we did that, I mean, you sent me an email saying, I don't know what I'm going to ask this guy. I thought I'd just sit there quietly. It's tough, isn't it? Because people stop drinking for lots of reasons. And mine are all reasons I think everybody presumes you'd be happy to talk about. There are obviously people who give up booze and you suspect it's something they don't want to talk about. That's where I think it was difficult for me. I am a light-hearted look at drinking <laughs> and maybe a light-hearted way in stopping people like you not drinking. And that's fine when we're in this situation because, as you've said many times, you don't have a negative relationship with alcohol. When you've got someone there who said, I was a crippled alcoholic who couldn't do anything... And he was. He was, he was riddled with gout and walking with a stick... And there's me making farting noises and saying, come to the pub. I'm not sure it works as easily. Well, we, we didn't need to worry because Andy is an absolutely top bloke. And as you'll hear later, he's very lighthearted about the whole thing. In fact, and, and take this in the right way, he reminded me quite a lot of you. <laughs> the uh, crippled alcoholic man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the bit I, I meant, but... I suspect he is the centre of his social group. I suspect he was the one who always was, you know, sending people the messages, saying, oh, come out, come out, come out. He's also got that kind of really captivating, sort of charming personality. When he speaks, I think he commands the room. Thank you, Jeff. That's the nicest thing I'll ever say about you. What's going to say? I could definitely tell once we actually started speaking to him that the two of you were going to get on. I mean, I have to say, not that I'm planning this, but if... I was ever going to give up alcohol, then that would be someone that, that I could see myself doing it with. 
I mean, it's not going to happen, but if I did... <laughs> There's a moment then. <laughs> if I did, he would be... I think he would appeal to people like me. Maybe we need to add this to the podcast, because every week you ask me the same question. Jeff, are you still dry? I am. Maybe what we need to add to this is, Matt, are you still wet? Oh, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like there was a chink in your armour. No, just but a very, very small chink, but it's gone. So that interview is coming up later in the podcast. Now, it appears that despite the best efforts of governments around the world, <laughs> there is no stopping the inevitable global spread of this podcast. I was, uh, By the way, I was going to sing then. You told me before, if I sing, we have to pay people. What were you going to sing? On the road again. <laughs> Matt and Jeff are on the road again. Yeah, it has to sound like the original for us to play. Okay, so that was fine. We That's had... fine. Oh, brilliant. So we mentioned last week that we discovered we had listeners in the States, in Australia, in Spain, Germany, India, Canada, Japan, Russia, France, and Sweden. So you can imagine how surprised I was when I checked this week to find that we've now added Ireland, Argentina, New Zealand, Norway, Iceland, Japan, Denmark, Romania, and South Africa. I mean, that's a good haul, isn't it? It is. So uh... It's a little bit, well, a little bit like the Beatles. A bit of Beatlemania in this, isn't there? Well... I'd be I, I like my numbers. Um, uh, part of my, my degree was stats. So I did a bit of digging around and I found out it took coronavirus eight <laughs> weeks to reach that many countries. And we've done it in four episodes. So thank you to everybody who's had a listen wherever you are listening. Right, quick catch up on last week because it was last Saturday was the 29th of February. The leap year dilemma. Uh, so doesn't count. 366th random day of the year. You know, I didn't sign up for that. So there was on the table the opportunity for me to take a night off this experiment and have a drink. I think probably all along we knew I wasn't going to do that. The same applied to Valencia. It just feels weird to get back on the wagon for a day knowing you're going to get off it. And no day. point in that evening did you ever look like you were going to fall off the wagon. I was very disappointed. Yeah. In fact, come after about half an hour, I just stopped talking to you. <laughs> just moved you away. You didn't talk to me much then. <laughs> no, there was no point. But the offer was on the table that I would get back on the wagon for the evening if you gave up for Lent. Yeah, unfortunately, by the time you arrived at the pub, I'd already had five pints. <laughs> <laughs> I was late. I was late. And actually, so you'd already been out for about an hour and a half. Yeah. If I'd been drinking, I'd have been playing some serious catch-up at that point. And that, that is the way that it works. You arrive, everybody's been out for an hour and a half, they're sort of three pints in at that point, and you go, I need to not be behind. And it's a weird mentality, but it, it exists. Whereas I arrived going... This is what it's going to be like for the rest of the night. There was no... <laughs> normally you get that hour and a half at the start of the evening when nobody's drunk and it's fine, you're in the same boat as everybody. And then there's definitely a cliff edge and everybody else falls off it and you're at the top waving. Didn't get that this time because you'd already you'd already reached that point. I have to say that there was a point on Sunday morning where I did kind of envy you a bit because I had quite a lot to drink on Saturday night and felt absolutely dreadful on Sunday morning. And at that point, I was thinking, oh, I wonder how Jeff's feeling. I bet he's feeling so much better. So I went to the gym on Sunday afternoon, and Martin, whose drinks it had been for his birthday, he was in there as well. But it was three o'clock in the afternoon, and he came over and he went, I've just got out of bed. <laughs> so we'd, we'd been up since eight, we'd had a whole day, and he did say the same things. I, I, I wish I was you right You know now. what I'd like to do once is, is a podcast... The Sunday morning after the night before, 
we do the hangover episode yes. and just see how my attitude changes when I'm feeling rough as a badger's ass on yes. a Sunday morning. Well, that's it, because as much as I go through some of Saturday night thinking, oh, I wish I was these guys, I know to a penny everybody wakes up on Sunday morning going, I wish I was Jeff right now. <laughs> I think that is one of the sayings, that they, I wish I was Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I've said a few times during the recordings of these podcasts that I don't think I have a negative relationship with alcohol. Although I guess currently I don't have any relationship with alcohol. And the usual response is, well, why are you doing it then? Which strikes me as odd because in almost every other walk of life, there is some element of prevention is better than cure. But not so when it comes to drinking. So... Someone recently said to me that they wish they were as fat now as they were when they first thought they were fat. And I think that's how I feel about alcohol. I already know I'm drinking a bit too much. And when we went to see the consultant hepatologist, he confirmed that I was drinking a bit too much. And I'd rather do something about that now. So we're quite proud of this podcast and we really want to look at some serious topics. But doing that whilst having the sort of laugh that we would traditionally have on a night out. And what's been making us nervous is that neither of us are entirely sure we can do that with our next guest. We've... I've been cacking myself. <laughs> we've, we've had quite a conversation about how this was going to I wasn't going to come today. <laughs> so Andy Smith has written a book called Sober in Seven about how to give up drinking. So far, so good. And much like this podcast, it's a universal tale told through a personal journey. But that personal story is one of alcohol abuse and recovery. And I guess it's the difficult bit of any conversation about drinking. But as one of my old bosses used to say, difficult conversations only get more difficult if you avoid them. So look, let's let's start with there's a line in your bio that we were sent before this interview that says outwardly he seemed fine before you gave up drinking. So why did you give up drinking? Yeah, I think for me, it was a kind of a gradual realisation that all was not well. I mean, as you say, from the outside, everything seemed fine. I mean, I grew up in a small Scottish island where the size of your manhood was basically measured by how far down a bottle of whiskey you could get uh, before you passed out. And um, and I actually grew up at a pub. And, um, well, stacked against you already, uh, aren't Yeah, I? exactly. And, and you can kind of look back uh, in terms of where I ended up and kind of go, yeah, there were probably many different signs, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. But as I, you know, left uni, got increasingly senior jobs, and I was traveling a lot internationally, running various different healthcare companies and things, and the whole thing was basically fueled by alcohol. And um, and it was my sort of stress control, but I, I kind of kidded myself that it was the price of success. And just over time, it got worse and worse and worse. And I was up to a litre of spirits in an evening. Um, every evening? To, uh, not every evening, but you know, there would be times that I would, I would polish off a litre of gin. And the irony is part of me kind of was slightly proud of that. You know, it was kind of like, look, I did that and I didn't die. And so my kind of relationship was fairly complicated with booze and I felt it was a kind of a necessary part of my life. And I'd over the years, I'd been to AA, I'd been to a meeting there and 
ran for the hills after it because nobody there kind of looked like me. I was successful and, you know, good job, drove a nice car, uh, you know, nice house. That's interesting. A friend of mine who had a drink problem went to AA and his overriding thing was he didn't go again because he felt like a loser. He felt like a loser in there. I don't know. I've never been to AA, but that's what he came across and he couldn't take that. Yeah, I think you know AA definitely has its place, and I wasn't uh, able to go AA. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> and and I, and I think that's important. And and I probably, I mean, I've got a social media group with about twelve thousand people on it, and there are plenty of people who've been to AA and would swear yeah. by it, and 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 it's been a massive help to them. And uh, but it doesn't work for everybody, and so I tried that, and it definitely wasn't for me. I went to see my GP about it. I went to a counselor for nearly a year and a half. Spent an absolute fortune trying to look for some answers and didn't find any, tried hypnotherapy and everything. And I just assumed that there was something fundamentally broken about me. And and, it was, and then there was a couple of things happened. I had a, a walloping panic attack in uh, my local supermarket. And I, I was really stressed at work and I was drinking. I never drank during the day, but it was just, you know, walloping amounts of alcohol every evening. And I literally keeled over and fell into the fridge in Tesco's and I was literally lying among the sausages and this little old lady came up to me and she's like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I remember sitting there and thinking, you know, what the is going on here? How is it kind of come to this? And then I did the typical bloke thing. You know, I'm a very competitive guy in business and it was like, just give me something to fight, give me something to battle. And that's all well and good, but when the battle's against yourself, it's a war that you're never going to win. And... There was a an interesting thing happened about a few days later. I was sat at a level crossing and I was running late for a meeting and the song Michael Jackson's The Man in the Mirror came on the, the radio. Did that make was, you want to drink? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just kind of a, a funny circumstance where I'd, I'd heard that song hundreds of times before and I'd never really listened to it. And that first line of the chorus, I'm starting with The Man in the Mirror and I'm asking him to change his ways. And I, it was funny because I was in the car, I was looking at this, you know, bloodshot eyes and dark circles and all this kind of stuff in, in the reflection. And I, I actually asked myself the question pretty much out loud, just like, are, are you up for this? Are you going to take this seriously? And I think probably for the first time in my life, I just went, yeah, I've had enough. And so my whole background had been selling and influencing and I was really good at it. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder if being good at changing how other people felt about things. I just wonder if I could turn that on myself. And I just basically, I took a few days off work and just sat and went through everything that I knew about psychology and about um, mindfulness and all these personal development courses I'd done. And I, I spent literally three full days sat in the car by the side of a lake with everything spread out over the dashboard and going over all this stuff. And over those three days, something really interesting happened. I just, I thought, you know what, I'm done. And I've not had a drink since. And it, over the over time... Can I yeah. just ask a question? Had you ever been done before? I know some people who get absolutely hammered, something bad goes wrong with yeah. them, yeah? And they'll go, I'm done. I'm not drinking anymore. For a week. Yeah. Yeah. Two weeks later, it comes back. What was the difference on this I'm done? Because, you know, look at you now, you're not drinking at all. Yep. That done's quite a big done. I mean, it's not just Michael Jackson helping you with his song, is it? You know? Well, it, it, 
God, did Michael, Jack- Michael Jackson yeah, save I mean, your life? That's a, that's the that's irony. unusual. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, why wasn't that the subtitles of the book? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think you know, there's I'd been there so many times, as you say, you know, the never again. You know, I've embarrassed myself or had the walloping hangover from hell or or whatever. And I think there was just something in that moment when I was sat at that level crossing that I just thought. I cannot do this anymore. You know, this isn't right. And when that shift occurred, it was really significant. And that's why I kind of went back to it. And that's why I kind of, I had to go back and reverse engineer what had just happened. Professionally, I was quite curious. That's kind of how the whole thing was born. What started off as a quest for my own answers, really, was just a... I got some people to kind of... I reverse engineered the process. I came up with kind of seven key aspects to it found about 20 people in a online group and said, look, try this out and see. And they all came back to me and went, I don't know what you've done, but this is amazing. That's a very long answer to your question in terms yeah. of, but for me, it had created so much anxiety. I was divorced. A lot of the reasons why I kidded myself that I was drinking, you know, in an unhappy marriage and all this kind of stuff, all that had gone away, new partner, got a new little boy, and so many reasons to be happy, and yet the drinking remained. And I, that's a scary place to get to because I just thought, I'm not in control of this situation at all. Is the, and, and I'm asking this because I think it is for me, I don't think I could have done this year of not drinking without doing this podcast. I think the two of them are quite yeah. connected because, you know. I'm I, your Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, the man in the never, mirror. Just never say, say that, that again. Look at you here, actually. Um, I'm a radio producer, so I look at this as a as a story, as a, a sort of documentary that I want yeah. to tell and I want to explore that. And then that becomes the focus rather than the not drinking. And yeah. I think you've got a similar – when you said, I found this professionally interesting and I was looking at the psychology of it, and was that sort of fundamental to you being able to do it? If you just said, I'm going to stop without that process, that sounds like it would have been hard for you. I think so. I think – to kind of give this meaning, I mean, in terms of the people who I deal with and help, I mean, it's kind of interesting. That How many people are you helping on a normal level? Or so, have you helped? I don't know. What the, what are the numbers doing this? So I've had about 800 people through the program. Wow. And as I say, I've got a, a group with 12,000 people on it. And I'm on there every day kind of just offering general ad- advice and just kind of helping people um, sort of. A lot of them, I would say, are, you know, the, the kind of the, there's so many little bits of jargon, but you know, so many people are sober curious. Yeah. And I guess maybe, you know, I, I suppose you can probably in empathize. That category, yeah. yeah. And it, it's kind of like, well, what if, you know, what what would happen if I were to do this? And, and I think I love the psychology of it. I've always enjoyed understanding how the human mind works and all that kind of stuff. And I think to see the scale of the problem is also quite interesting because I think we are a little bit willfully blind in terms of just how much it, it kind of can affect a lot of people's lives. And I think the more you kind of look, the kind of the, the darker it becomes. And, you know, I am not anti-alcohol at all. You know, a lot of my missus still drinks. I go out socialising with my friends and they're all drinking and stuff. And it's fine. It's my decision. It's not theirs. And I think part of what has made what I do successful 
is that I'm not judgmental because I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world if I were to say, you know, oh, don't drink that, you know, whatever, because I've put more than enough away in my time. So, so when we were doing this, it was as much about how I reacted to him not drinking. Yeah. And other which people not, not well. drinking. <laughs> which is not well. <laughs> and even if it makes me sound a bit of an arse at the time, I'm going to ask you the question anyway. Before I met you, I looked at your website. Yeah. yeah. And I saw the picture of you and the description of when you were out on the latch all the time. And one of you basically just done the Tour de France, holding the bike up. Yeah. yeah. My initial reaction was I'd much rather be mates with the fella on the, on the latch than the fella doing the Tour. Yeah. Tour de France fella sounds a bit dull. Yeah. Not drinking. I quite like the other fella. If you read a book on, on a rock star, you want the Elton John when he's going out partying, not the one who's sat at home shopping, drinking tea. Yeah. So did you find that with your friends? Did they react like maybe I would have reacted? Is there something that we have to re-educate male friendships that actually, you know what, it is all right, we can still be mates, we can still have a laugh, or did you get bad reactions? I guess that's what I'm trying to work out. Yeah, I think, you know, I had a whole host of reactions. A lot of people are kind of quite concerned, you know, does this mean that I can't have a drink? You know, because I've not come to the same conclusions that you have, and does that mean I can't drink in your presence? Uh, Does it mean that... If I have a drink in your presence, it, you know, there's some kind of Jekyll and Hyde kind of moment going to happen or whatever. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, you say about, you know, the guy on the, the the lash and the guy on the Tour de France. And, you know, for me, it's the same guy. But you have to spend a lot of time kind of managing other other people to... Make... So it's almost a re-education. Yeah. Sometimes I think when these things happen, there's a re-education of other people. Yeah, absolutely. I certainly need it. I certainly need it. But I, I, I love the tone. I was listening to your earlier podcast, and I just love the tone of this because everything you're saying is what people will experience. You know, if they if they make the decision to go, okay, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna quit. You will get every single reaction under the sun. From oh, does that mean you're going to be boring? Does that mean you're going to be picking us up on what we say or or whatever? And and I think, you know, there is a bit of effort required to, you know, re-education, but also to kind of reassure people that, you know what, it's okay. I'm still the same guy. It just actually, I don't talk as much rubbish as I used to. And, you know, when we have a nice conversation and you tell me stuff, I won't ask you again the following day because I don't remember the conversation. But are you always the designated driver now? I, you know, I will always volunteer that. And it's my nights out now. I mean, I go out with my buddies and they're all drinking and stuff. And, you know, there is a moment where they're kind of getting to that happy stage and you kind of like, you do feel a wee bit kind of envious. Do you miss it? Do you ever miss it? Only you say that because... Now we've got to be so careful. Everyone talks about responsible drinking. Yeah, yeah, Drink yeah. aware, drink responsibly. I quite like a bit of irresponsible drinking. I quite <laughs> like getting drunk every now and then, you know, and silly and laughing. Do you miss that at all? I don't because I still have great nights out with my friends. I still enjoy all the stuff that I used to. It just looks a wee bit different, you know? I mean, it's, it's like, I mean... Again, I grew up in a small Scottish island, and you know, whenever I go home, having a hear dram boy, you know, this is the kind of you know, and, and it's it's a handshake, and people yeah. get offended if you you know, why won't you have a dram for me? And I don't know who came up with that rule, but it needs a bit of management, particularly if they're drunk. And I've got a story in the book which is, you know, it's kind of it's it's hugely ironic where one of my old buddies that I'd not seen for years, we spent 
half an hour arguing over whether or not I was going to have a vodka in the bottom of this glass of Diet Coke or not. And I'm like, mate, you know, I've, I've not seen you for years and I'd like to know how your family are doing. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy in a way. Not a lot of this makes a lot of sense. But, you know, in terms of do I miss anything, I think that ability to just relax and kick back and press the pause button it looks a bit different now, but I still get it. But I've, in some respects, I've kind of had to work hard to make sure that I'm not the guy that nobody wants to have around and things like that. Jeff's so not worked as hard on that. <laughs> he is. Early days oh, no. If you could give him one of your tips for that. <laughs> Jeez, he's getting dull. What do you drink? Um, if I'm out, uh, a whole variety of stuff, it depends what I'm... The, I mean, this is the kind of the, the madness of it as well. There's a nearly infinite amount of different drinks that you can have. And it's like when people go, I was listening with a smile on my face when you're talking about, you know, low alcohol beers and stuff. You know, why do you have to, like, okay, I'm not going to drink, so I will just drink a slightly poorer version of what I would have been drinking anyway. <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's... If I want something that's spicy, I'll have like a ginger beer or something like that or, you know, a nice soda and lime with a load of ice in it and is nice and refreshing. You know, I'll drink whatever I want. You know, it's like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Game of Thrones, you know, but the old line is, you know, what do dragons eat? It's like pretty much whatever they want. And <laughs> and it's there is a whole infinite world of taste out there. Um and, uh, you know, so I, I, it just depends. I'll, I'll just have whatever I feel like. Do you think there's a difference between, because we went to the pub last week and I ordered a non-alcoholic beer from the bar and the barman actually laughed at me. Yeah. I wonder if I'd said at that point, I'm a recovering alcoholic, his attitude is different to someone who's just decided not to drink. Is there still a difference between the two and the way people treat you? Because I think with your friendship group, if you approached your friends and said, look, I have a drinking problem and my choice is I'm going to stop drinking, I think they'd be more supportive of you. I would react very differently to you two when you were going through it. So you're giving up as almost trying to see if you can do it for a year, see what happens. So I know you don't have a drinking problem. Well, you don't at all. Um, so I would still invite you to the pub and to a dinner party. I wouldn't feel bad about drinking in front of you. If you were in the situation like you said you were, and you said to me, look, I'm giving up because this is killing me. I'm, you know, I'm in all sorts of positions. I would think twice about inviting you to the pub. Not because I think you wouldn't be as much fun. It's because I know I'm going to get drunk in front of you and I would feel bad. So for me, there would be a difference between the two of you in terms of how I would react. This is probably the kind of the nub of the issue, I think, is, is just, you know, if I was a non-smoker, you probably wouldn't give two hoots. Um, no. Whereas not drinking alcohol, you know, so it's interesting when we use things like, you know, recovering alcoholic. I mean, that's I don't consider myself a recovering alcoholic. I consider that I got to a stage where I found an ability to let something go that I couldn't in the same way that we don't talk about a smoker as a recovering smokeaholic or yeah. something like that. Nicotineaholic, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's kind of the same gig, to be honest, although, you know, society kind of deems it, it differently. So I think as a society, we, we kind of just don't know what to do. And so I, I very much when I'm working with people, I say, look, you know, be as upfront as you want to be. And you will have to be the one that makes the effort to make people feel comfortable and let them know it's okay. And you have to take responsibility for that because it's your decision. It's not, you know, the last thing in the world 
I would want to do was if we were to go out to the pub, you know, after we've recorded this or something like that, for my decision to be impacting on what you would do. I just had to stop myself saying, thinking that'd be a rubbish day out for me. (laughs) (laughs) For you two. Jeez. (laughs) I obviously don't mean that. (laughs) How long did it... I know there's a certain irony to me asking this question in the middle of this interview, but how long did it take for your drinking to stop being the thing everybody talked to you about? Oh, it still goes on now, and I'm three years old. Hold later. on, he's doing a podcast about <laughs> writing a book. I, I said there was it's an irony. It's not like he's hiding it, is it? We went to a, a 50th birthday party recently, and it probably was the first hour of conversation of the evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was how's the not drinking going? Yeah. Uh, and I think there is a fascination with it for everybody. I don't think, uh, and again, I know I'm doing a podcast about it, but I think this year will go, and, and it will be the first question everybody asked me for a year. Uh, absolutely. And and still now, you know, everybody's kind of like, you know, it, everybody, I think everybody's very curious about it. I mean, I think there's, uh, was it Adrian Childs? Uh, yeah, he did had a, had a quote. He, yeah. he did that thing. He said, you know, I used to drink really heavily and nobody ever mentioned it. And then I stopped drinking and everybody wants to talk about it. And it... it kind of is interesting to people and I, I think you shouldn't be frightened of that and I think it's it's awesome what you're doing in terms of just kind of shining a light into what for some people is quite a dark place you know and the answers are in the shadows and it's helpful to just talk about it because for so long it's just been accepted that you'll go out and that has to involve alcohol and things I mean if you were in you know in the 1970s or something like that we could be having the exact same podcast about giving up smoking because the pressure would be just exactly the same. So, well, why, why do you want to do that? You know, it's like we're all, when 80% of the population smoked, it's like, well, what are you going to do on the cigarette breaks when we all go out? Well, nobody even went outside, did they? Yeah, just just smoked, yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, things have changed and opinions, I think, with alcohol are changing subtly. So that's why, you know, it's a good conversation to have, but... Do you think there are going to be more people like you? You're not what I expected. Yeah, I generally expected some headmasterly, holier-than-thou person come in. You are very relaxed about it. You're very positive about it. The thing yeah. you said about, I'm not an alcoholic. I've just decided to stop. I moved on from that, that part of my yeah. life. If I was to give up alcohol, by the way, to everyone listening, I'm not. But if I was... I would react better to someone like you and the more positive in there and the less doom and gloom and the not I've got to keep recovering every day, that sort of stuff, more to the look. These are some steps. You were in a bad place. This is going to help. That that sort of thing. All the people I've spoken to have given up because of a problem. I never get that feeling that I'm getting from you of a more positive, happier place, a more positive outlook and a more lighthearted outlook to it. And, and I think that for drinkers or a certain type of people, I think, that may be more important than anything. Well, thank you. Uh, that's very kind of you to say. But I think it's probably the, the feedback I get the most is that I'm a naturally very optimistic person. And part of the reason, I mean, you mentioned about the Tour de France. I mean, part of my rationale for doing that was, I, I, well, I would say it was kind of twofold. One was I wanted to kind of complete my journey to wellness but the other thing was when you, you do something that you previously thought was impossible, and I make no mistake, I, I thought I was completely died in the wool. You know, I was never going to get past this. But it does make you ask some really interesting questions of yourself in terms of what else have I talked myself out of in terms of 
things that I just, you know, had, had written off to say, well, I can't do that. And to go and ride the entire course of the Tour de France makes no sense whatsoever. Let's be really clear. I used to love watching it as a younger man and thought, oh, one day, you know, I'll, I'll go and do that as well. Did you do the whole course? The whole thing. Or, or the big mountains as well? All the big mountains. Every single, so the year that Geraint Thomas won, every single inch of tarmac that he did, I did one week before. Now, I have to say, he did it two and a half times quicker than I did. So the day that he won on the Alpe d'Huez, I think I, I was looking at it on the TV and going like, oh, that's what it looks like in daylight. Because I finished that day at 10 to 11 at night. Um, I guess part of it was just, you know, I wanted to... I'm sorry, do you did the 21 stage, you did it like in a day each stage? Yes. Yeah, exactly the same schedule as the pros. It's just I didn't finish as early in the day as they did. Wow. You talk about a... A life-changing experience, you know. You learn a lot about yourself when you're... I mean, one of those mountains, the Col de Quite Affair, took me four hours to get up it, you know. And you're, when you're slogging away at five miles an hour and you're getting bitten by flies because you've got a cloud around you <laughs> and you can't cycle fast enough to get away from them, you know. You Definitely need a drink then, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> but, you know, there's a great example. You know, there's a bunch of the guys that, um, that I was cycling with who are now lifelong friends. You know, we would get by and they would, they would have a celebratory beer... And I would have a celebratory soda and lime or, or whatever. That's the important thing is we all had exactly the same celebration. And you mentioned you're engaged yep. now to someone new. And what's been her reaction to the drink? Was she, did she ever have a conversation about giving it up as well, you know, to support you? Or we're still working on getting my wife onto the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think she's still slightly guilty about drinking when... I'm there. We had a, a bottle of red wine at the weekend. And, you know, there was a conversation about I'd quite like a glass of red wine with Sunday roast. Do you mind? I'm going to open a bottle. I'm probably not going to drink the whole bottle. So I'm going to end up throwing some of this away. Yeah. And it feels slightly weird. Why don't you just to be put the top that. back on it? Well, just, don't have to throw it away. Well, it, 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 <laughs> you know, she's not a massive drinker. It would be a week before she had another drink. So what was that conversation like at home? She was concerned about my drinking. And, I mean, she's been ultra supportive and she always is ultra supportive in everything. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the question was asked. It's like, well, where does that leave me type thing? And I'm like, actually, part of this whole journey for me is I didn't want to, to be the guy that then was going to impinge his views on everybody else because I've never been like that. And so why should I be like that about this? And, Interesting feedback from her. She actually finds that she drinks less because, as she says, she doesn't have to race me to the bottom of a bottle of wine. And she said, I used to have to drink quickly because otherwise I didn't get any. Uh, <laughs> whereas now she, um, you know, we have it. We, we actually have a bottle of wine in the fridge that has got its top back on. And it's like, wow, that hasn't happened in my house for like 30 years. I guess to turn the spotlight back onto me for a second at the end of this year i will have that choice of yeah. whether to carry on completely sober or to come up with a, a new way of drinking we've previously discussed you know drinking halves or alternating drinks or doing something that brings the drinking levels down yeah. so what's your advice what would you suggest for me, curiosity is absolutely a, a really key asset in this. And, and you know, I, I love what you're doing. I love the tone that you're striking. And I think it's a really cool debate from a couple of guys who are being pretty straight 
and honest and having a bit of a laugh about it as well. Because, you know, let's be clear, you know, life's got enough crap going on with it that we don't need to be serious all the time. So, you know, what I would say is just, you know, learn as you go. And you will be in a in the pound seats to then make a decision around what your relationship is like with alcohol. I mean, the great thing is, is you're coming at this from a position of not feeling like you were out of control, but you will learn loads as you go through this. And, um, you know, that, that will influence what your future looks like. And, and so what you're doing is a it's a good thing. It's a it's a brave thing to do because you do, irrespective of what, the, the kind of, the you know, we've got a bit of a good cop, bad cop, which is awesome thing going on here. But, you know, just in terms of you'll see how other people react and, and, and things like that. So all things are possible. You don't have to go and ride the Tour de France. It's no. fine. Um, but, you know, you're doing a good thing and and just keep an open mind. You, you know what? I've gone I've gone full circle. I was a little bit worried when you come in that you were going to be an arse and you're not. <laughs> now I'm kind of wishing you were an arse because after this I'm even thinking it'd be quite interesting to go on a journey with you giving up alcohol. You're definitely not drinking after this. Whenever I'm in him on again, jeez, I mean, I'm thinking he's not AIDS. He's a good I'm, bloke. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm really good at what I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, just, let me just turn Matt's mic off for a second. Because you mentioned earlier in the podcast about, you know, other when we were talking about uh, people always ask you about you're not drinking. Yeah. Do you think there's a bit of them that wants to give it up too? Well, <laughs> so that, that this is an interesting point. Alcohol is addictive. If you were smoking five cigarettes a day, you would say, oh, well, I'm not a heavy smoker or whatever. But make no mistake, you would be addicted to nicotine. And I think most people would accept that. If you're drinking regularly, you are addicted to alcohol. That's why people find it quite difficult to kind of put it to one side. Because if you weren't addicted, you just go, yeah, fine. I'm, you know, I have one bad hangover and that's it. I'm not doing that again. And that would be it. Subconsciously, even though we don't want to acknowledge it, there is a degree of, I don't think I could do that. You know, and a lot of people will be kind of saying that as they see what you're doing. They say, I'm not quite sure. If I could do it, I may not openly acknowledge it, but that creates a degree of anxiety and a bit of discomfort because there is an addictive process going on. Now, for a lot of people, it does make them feel a wee bit uncomfortable that they think I couldn't do that. And this is where all the questions around, does this mean I can't drink in your presence and things like that? Quite a lot of it comes from their own ego, I guess. It's like, oh, what's this going to mean for me? Yeah, definitely. That's definitely true. Yeah. So <laughs> he's always worried because he's the more sensible one. That when we're doing this, you know, he even puts at the end, don't take any advice from us. We're not really doctors. Go somewhere else. <laughs> now, for once, actually, we can point some people to what do people do if they're worried about drink? They want to give up. How do they get in touch? What do they do? So if you go to the website, Sober in 7, so the word soberin7.com, or just Google Sober in 7. You'll find my website. You'll see a a wee bit more about me. I mean, the book is a great way to get started because it's relatively non-threatening. You know, it's on Amazon. You can just get it and start leafing through it and just go, is this something I want to kind of entertain? I also have an online program where I take you through a kind of a seven days of videos and exercises and things like that for people who are feeling a sense of urgency, shall we say, about uh, getting that sorted out. So obvious question, how much better is your life now? Go back Five years, my blood pressure was sky high. 
my cholesterol was sky high. I was pre-diabetic. I was on antidepressants. Uh, I was riddled with gout in both knees and both ankles, and I was walking with a stick. And now all those things have completely gone away. So better before, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, let's go for a pint. <laughs> So there you go. Nowhere as bad as we thought it'd be. Much better than I thought it would be. And I think a lot of that's down to the type of guy Andy is. I mean, from the minute he walked in through the door, you could you could tell there's something about him, as you said earlier in the podcast, that brings you into him. He doesn't take it too seriously, but with enough seriousness to obviously make a difference. But his manner, his, his way of doing it, I found really refreshing. Do you think there's something in that? You have to, I think, to some extent, be a reasonably confident person to give up drinking. Yeah, I think you've got to be a very confident person to give up drinking and talk about it. I think you can give up drinking and sit in your living room and never go out. But to go into a pub, I mean, you're a confident guy. To go into, you know this, to go into a pub where everyone's talking to you about it and maybe making fun of you about it, you've got to have a certain ego, an air of confidence about you. If you front it and go, hey, everybody, I'm giving up drinking, let's talk about it. I think it's a hell of a lot easier than if you're just going to the pub and almost pretending to not drink or just making excuses not to go to the pub. That real fronting up, well, it certainly works for Andy and, and, and obviously to some extent it's working for me. I've only met him for, for like the hour and a half we met him, but I don't think it would have worked any other way for Andy in a way that I think that would be me too. I think if you're going to do it and you're that sort of character, you've got to own it, you've got to do it in your own inimitable style and he's done that. I mean... One thing I think that helps with Andy is you are drawn towards him. When we're talking, I, I was, you know, I don't want to give up drinking and I don't particularly want to talk about give up drinking, which is a bit odd when doing this podcast, but you know what I mean? And I found myself hanging off his every word. I mean, he was such a top bloke. So we will put details of Andy's book and where you can find it and his website on our website at wetanddrypodcast.com. So moving on. Next week is the uh, is the Cheltenham Festival, which I know is a big week for you. Huge week for me, the Cheltenham Festival. Massive week. I love the Cheltenham Festival. Um, from a horse racing family, my dad and my brother go most years. I don't think they're going this year, but if they don't go down, they they, they come and I meet them and we have a drink. And, and I have a uh, traditional day in the pub, the first Wednesday of uh, Cheltenham, where me, me and a good friend of ours meet early <laughs> and uh, we go through the day. So, well, two questions. One, if you can imagine uh, a future life where you weren't drinking, this would be one of those days, I imagine, which you would just find it hard to imagine. I couldn't go. I came with you last year. You didn't drink, did you? I did. Oh, well, I didn't drink last year because I'd just been to the dentist and had a tooth removed. I ju- yes. And, and I, I was basically, I spent the day biting down on a wad of cotton wool and occasionally going and spitting the blood into the toilet. I just remember much hilarity at your pain. I think I nursed like a sparkling water for about four hours, <laughs> filled myself with painkillers and, and just watched you guys. So I, I don't have as happy memories of the Cheltenham Festival last year as you do. Why don't you come again? And not drink again? Yeah. Yeah, I'm up for that. Wednesday. Do you think it's, I think it's Wednesday. We always go in the wet. I mean... Yeah, it would be interesting because last year you couldn't drink because I don't think you could have got any water yeah. in your mouth. I just couldn't go if I wasn't drinking. As much as I would want to go and see the boys and have a laugh, I couldn't go if I wasn't drinking. It's, you know, Cheltenham is about drinking and Guinness and betting and having a great time and it's all wrapped up in one. What are the odds that 
you might not drink on Wednesday. Oh, there's zero. <laughs> there's zero. There's absolutely no way. If it was the other way around, this would be one that I would have to miss. I would have to make up an excuse, or if I wasn't being honest, and say, oh, sorry, guys, you know, I'll make up an aunt who died. How much would I have to pay you to not drink on Wednesday? Oh, God, that's not fair. Um, Put a number on it. Five grand. No, no more. Five, no, five grand. Maybe on Wednesday we should ask that question to other people in the pub. How much would it take right now for, for you to not drink the rest of today? I class this day with Christmas Day, uh, birthdays, New Year's Eve. It's that big a day for me. Five grand. You give me five grand and I'll think about it. I think we have our teaser for next week. So <laughs> join us next week, post Cheltenham Festival, unless you've won your fortune and moved to Antigua. I'd still do the podcast. Excellent news. Just made do it by relay. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. I hope you have lots of winners. <laughs> to everybody else, gamble aware. And until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.